Welcome to the Coda, a music podcast and the perfect end no tier week. I'm Rob Christofferson, and with me, he's the hipster that will judge you for your purchases in my indie record shop. The mesmerizing album cover to my wanton eyes, Brian Hasty. Brian, how are you doing on this fine, rainy afternoon? Rob, I love the 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 feeling of of being wanted. So thank you for the description. Yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. You know, buy me, please, by all means. Like, uh, just go ahead and uh, you know, uh, pick up that platter of Brian goodness. <laughs> this is probably the lamest intro I've ever done for a podcast as a reference. <laughs> a platter. So, um, if you if you had to divide uh, Brian Hasty up and put it onto a platter, and uh, you know, whether you're talking about meats, cheeses, crackers, whatever, I want you to uh, describe to me what that platter. Uh, is what's on it so basically it is a bunch of grapes and then um, a bunch of cheeses including a very um, a creamy brie and then like a prosciutto i feel like and then that way i got all of my bases covered there in terms of like a, a growing healthy boy yeah yeah absolutely are those grapes sour in any way no no they got to be sweet to counteract the the tartness of the cheese and uh, the saltiness of the meat uh, that's fair that's totally fair and uh, i do believe that is uh, the best description of that anybody could have thrown out in any way I... <laughs> thank you yeah this is uh you know this is like really shitty improv like rob like uh like did you ever like i did a bit of improv in high school were you ever uh, part of an improv trooper group i took a drama class in my senior year and uh it was wild brian it was wild in like a, in a good or bad way, uh, it, you know, if I could make people laugh, that was perfectly fine with me. And usually, by the way, uh, my method was uh, yelling. You know, good a good yeller <laughs> can make people laugh all day long, just all day. Yeah, long. for sure. I mean, like uh, that's basically like half of the like Bill Burr's career is like mostly yelling, right? Oh. Absolutely, and I mean, look, he was on fucking Saturday Night Live, like, recently. Yeah, he was He was on The Mandalorian for an episode. He, he was. That was, like, one of the weirdest things. Yes. Like, I like stunt casting, but uh, stunt casting in my Mandalorian is very, very no-go for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially in that universe, it's just like, what the fuck are you thinking? He had, he had like, that space Boston accent, right? So Yeah, he did. Like, are there Boston asset, uh, uh, accents in space? Brian. That is like the the eternal question and one that like Ben Affleck would love to know more about, I think. I think he would because he's going to have to move on from Batman seeing as how uh Robert Pattinson has now stepped into that role. So yeah, the my chemical romance of of Batman portrayals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess the the next question is where do you go beyond Batman and the obvious answer is space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, from the Bat Cave to the Space Cave. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you are you one of those people who wish that he had blown up at the end of Armageddon like I was? You know, I was rooting for it. I was rooting for it. Uh, I I had friends that uh, you know were not rooting for it, but I feel like Bruce, that Bruce Bruce versus Ben. Like, who do you take? Oh shit. Um, I think Bruce. I think Bruce on this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is why we'll remain podcast partners here. Nothing more. We're not friends. We are not. 
we, every every two weeks we step onto a microphone and outside that we do not talk no 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 not at all and uh you know it's actually well maybe maybe after this episode we won't talk because fuck you just by the way uh in in terms of like having to deal with this episode <laughs> Is, was it really that difficult for you brian yeah i picked two records that i fucking hated Excellent. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, let us get into the premise for this episode, uh, which is, um, uh, let's just say, if there are, you know, book clubs in the universe, this is a music club. So, uh, while book lovers have book clubs, uh, a safe space to talk about your appreciation for a piece of culture, music enthusiasts have gatekeeping assholes who will judge you for not having listened to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the time you're 25. The one thing I've come to appreciate about Brian and I's friendship, uh, despite the fact that uh, he he hates my guts right now, is that uh, our, our own personal tastes our judgment-free zones. We don't judge each other for the things that we listen to no. or the things that we don't listen to. Uh, unless it's uh, Vampire Weekend, then you can fuck off. Uh, but, yes, correct. Yeah, but that, that's that's just us. That's that's how we, how we mesh. Um, so we started this new kind of club that only has two people in it, and it's called the Been Meaning To Music Club because we've been meaning to listen to a lot of albums that we haven't. We... Each made lists, and we picked out two albums for each other to listen to. And we, we did this a while ago, and we were going to record an episode on it, but uh, I forget what happened. We, we have this happen all the time where we'll pick out a topic, and uh, it gets railroaded by something else. So I think we did the, uh, I think we did, uh, the Black Crows. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right yeah. for this, because uh, you had recently read it, and you wanted to talk about it, so... <laughs> For this segment, we're going to talk about two albums that we made each other listen to, and we're going to have deep conversations and shit, because that's what we do. We're, we're deep on here. We, we get really fucking deep, like, you know, getting in the grooves, getting in the grout. You got to get in that grout to get it clean. This is this is like the podcast format, uh, a version of that movie, The Core, where you have to burrow into the core to save yeah. the world. Because yeah. we're, we're going from Armageddon to the core. We're doing extremes. Yeah, we are doing extremes. Uh, I imagine somebody's going to have to die just just because that's the nature of uh, getting to the core of anything. So should we invent like a third co-host just for the purposes of this episode? That, that we Like a red shirt style kid that we can then kill off? Like, oh, look, it's, it's you know, uh, um, uh, Joey, the, the kid who's never listened to music before. What do you think? Yeah, his name in particular is Joey Lawrence because, <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest, Joey Lawrence, despite having starred in uh, many different things, I think he's definite red shirt material as the, the considering the fact that uh, I don't think Melissa and Joey's on TV anymore. And so uh, speaking about that kind of, of television person, this is total sidetrack. Um, I was recently on Tubi uh, TV, which is like a free service. That's an ad supported service. You can watch a lot of like really great movies on there, but you can also watch a lot of pieces of shit. And so my wife and I watched a TV movie starring uh, Cameron uh, uh, Candace Burke or Candace Cameron Burke, I think is her name, um, uh, uh, called She Said No. And uh, it involves uh, her being raped by uh, what's his face from Say by the Bell, the main guy. Oh, Paul Gosler. oh, God. What so when you say Joey Lawrence, I then immediately conjured up the the movie we watched last week uh, called She Said No, which is a TV movie that you can all watch for free. You're welcome, but not really. So he 
his name is Joey Lawrence, but he looks like Mark Paul Gossler. <laughs> yes, yes. Get, he's going to exactly. get offed in this thing. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, uh, why don't you kick us off with, with the first album that I made you listen to? I can't pick which one I want to, because there's one that I really hated and one that I hated a little less. And I think I'm going to start with the one that I really hated, which is George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I mean, released in 1970. It's it's goddamn 105 minutes here, Rob. Uh, You know, it's a marathon session for an album. It is not a short album, and it only got longer after 2003. (laughs) Well, I was about to say, I didn't even bother with the reissue. There's no goddamn way you can get me to do the extended version of that, the deluxe version. I, I feel like he was stockpiling a lot of Beatles material that never came to be, and then it sort of like all ended up on here as like a first step. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It definitely feels like a collection of, I've been waiting for this all my life. Here you go. Let's put it into an album and uh, make sure we got some plenty of sitar on this thing. I also think, like, a caveat here, I did not do any in-depth research about the context by which this album was conceived or recorded, because I didn't, I just wanted to focus on the music specifically. Mm, that's fair. That's so I feel like the tracks fair. are great overall, but a lot of them are missing that kind of X factor that would elevate it to, like, a, a better, like, better level, right? So, you know, obviously, like, My Sweet Lord, sure, yes, great single. It's great if you want to uh, do a sing-along. To, to yeah. Bust yeah. that motherfucker out, like... You can do sing along to that guilt free because it's George Harrison. He he wasn't vibing on you know the 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 Christian. Um, oh, what do we want? The Christian hookah. Yeah, I just put. I just <laughs> I just fucking crossing genres here, people. That's what we do. That's that's how we do it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's that safe, free sing along. Yeah, Christian kind of crossover song. Isn't it a pity is also a good track, and my uh, standout here is The Art of Dying, which uh, features Eric Clapton uh, playing guitar. It really, really does sound like an amped up while my guitar gently weeps, which is one of my favorite Beatles tracks, and I, I kind of really, really enjoy that. It is very reminiscent of um, Clapton's work on Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, the two the two had history, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. The weirdest fucking history over a goddamn guitar, and, and perhaps we'll get into that someday. But not yeah, thankfully not today because I'm I didn't. Yeah, uh, I found a lot of it was around the same range of tempos, and after all, it kind of became like a slog to get through a little bit. I I can agree. It's kind of like when you declare yourself a fan of Johnny Cash there's no way you can listen to Johnny Cash for more than an hour because if you do you're going to put shit in your eye (laughs) just because like Uh, it's that is a bumper sticker yeah uh, like I love Johnny Cash to death but we didn't need the extended the full version of the Folsom Prison concerts what was out there was fine and then they made it longer and it just made it more difficult to get through and like you can only listen to so much johnny cash before you really do want to stick something in your eye i think one of the worst offenders of that is elvis by far like his estate has pushed out so many different versions of the same thing like i i visited graceland and like it, a lot of the stuff that was on sale was like here's the regular here's the remastered here's the deluxe here's the super deluxe here's the box set for like every single arrow of his hits yeah, and all people really want is now is like the sun sessions, and you can't even reissue that. So what yeah. the fuck? What the flipping fuck? 
So I don't have the same reverence for the Beatles that a lot of people do. And I like, I appreciate and I love a lot of their music and um, understanding their place in like the, the pantheon of popular music. At the same time, there's not too much going on here that really interested me. Uh, I also had a thought, Rob. So originally this was three LPs, right? So you had to get up a minimum of six times to listen to the album. And like the last LP, like the Apple Jam or the last side was, was really good. I really enjoyed that. But uh, you had to get up four times in order to hit that peak. You did, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for me, uh, I, I, it was it was fine. I will, I cannot listen to that again, apart from like, uh, you know, the Art of Dying. If My Sweet Lord comes on somewhere, then that's that's fine. And uh, you know, at uh, Brian Hasty on Twitter, if you want to yell at me, so please, by all means, go ahead. I don't think this is the album that people should be, you know, dying on here. Like th- that's not the hill we're dying on here, folks. Um. No, this is like the perfect uh, double CD album. Like if this were a CD era album, everyone would be like, of course, this totally makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want to buy it on vinyl, holy fuck, it's expensive. It's like $60. Because yeah, it's, like, it's one of those deluxe gatefolds, right? I yeah, think. yeah, it is. Um, I uh, found this record when I was 20 or something like that. Uh, I, in my hometown... I have a local music shop. It's called Ampersound. And basically once a week, I would go in there and I would blow my entire paycheck just buying new music. And the guy that owns it, Mark, uh, been a been a friend for a long time. He would always, like, recommend something. So I'd just be like, all right, I'll buy it. And he has his picks up by the counter and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I've never really given much of the solo Beatles aside from Paul McCartney, much of a chance. And, uh, you know, I picked it up. Uh, for me, I, I agree with you that it's not just something a degree of bloat. Yeah. That like, is just like a good, you know, record, uh, exec would, would step in and then realize there's probably like two records here that like can be split up for more profits. Yeah. Um, and if honestly, um, if you want a great, representation of this list instead of going to um all things must pass go to the concert for george which is in yes it's a phenomenal like concert that was this is a memorial for uh george harrison where a bunch of his friends got up and uh performed his music and their versions are just fantastic so Concert for George, I think, is the better choice if you honestly want to explore his discography because you get a lot of the All Things Must Pass era uh, along with a bunch of other George Harrison era stuff. And you get people like Eric Clapton, Tom Petty, Billy Preston, Bob Dylan, uh, anybody you can really think of that worked with George Harrison is up there uh, paying tribute to him. So... Yeah, go find the concert for George if you can see the li- if you can find the live performance. I don't know if it's on any streaming services. Do that. If not, go listen to the CD because it's phenomenal. Okay, so rewinding before we get to your first pick, just super curious. Uh, did you say his name is Mark? Yes. How, how good were Mark's picks in your estimation? They're very classic. I'm, I'm not gonna say safe picks. They're definitely an artist's picks. Uh, he was a big fan of Mark Knopfler. So uh, I think he had good choice, a uh, good taste there. Yeah, I mean, like solo and author, I can you know uh, take or leave, but uh, you know the, most of the Dire Straits output has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's with a lot, a lot of artists that go solo because 
Eric Clapton gets really tiring after a certain period of time, depending upon what you go to. Like, you can kind of just pick and choose through his discography, because it just seemed like he was on the road for big things, and then Jimi Hendrix came along and kind of, like... It just made it seem like he was like, oh, well, this guy's got it. I, I'll, yeah, I'll just yeah. I'll just make this pop rock shit. I think that Clapton is a really, really good compilation artist, right? So oh, yeah. Streaming, I think that, like, he is better digested um, in a curated kind of way versus, like, here's all of his outputs, just sort through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the last probably great album that the man put out was his Unplugged album. And uh, that's a deluxe reissue that I can actually listen to uh, multiple times all the way through. Just a, a great see, performance. That's sort of like a that is sort of a compilation unto itself, though. Yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's a compilation of songs. Just they've been played all at once. I can't believe you didn't choose Pilgrim, which has the immortal single "My Father's Eyes." I did own it. It's probably somewhere <laughs> in my storage unit, and. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let that uh, die in the past. Just sit, just sit. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 gonna go and and dwell in the past. That's perfectly fine. All right, hit me with your first pick, Rob. So, for me, I don't dwell in the era of uh, the the genre of metal all that much. Aside from country music, which you know over the last decade has become the most polarizing genre to listen to just based on the uh, arguments that break out in the communities. I feel like metal shares a, a common trait, uh, which is that both those styles of music tend to be very gatekeepy. I would say metal has struggled with identity politics since the eighties. And, you know, part of that is hungry record labels vying to make, you know, thing albums like slippery when wet, like, a metal staple when it clearly isn't. Yeah, or allowing uh, Jethro Tull to win like a metal yeah. Grammy. Yeah, like the the first fucking you know metal Grammy, and you give it to Jethro Tull. Absolute just dog shit. Nailed it. Yeah. the The other half is the the listener base, and the desire of many of those in that listener base to label things as either metal or not metal, like diehard metalheads will say that Ghost isn't metal enough, even though it's a pretty fucking great band. And they're clearly in that genre. My other great hesitation when it comes to medical metal is uh, lyrical content. This is a small inconvenience, I would say, but I'm someone who takes his lyrics probably more seriously than he should. <laughs> that That is so on brand for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, because, like, I'm that sad white dude, and when I'm not being that sad white dude, we're making this podcast, or we're we're on our other project, Brian, The Order of Podcasters, available on any podcast app or on YouTube, if you want to yeah. go check it out. Or we regularly Twitch stream over at twitch.tv slash technofunkboy. Yeah, absolutely. And I put on there, I, I can't remember if I put directly on the list, like Metal or Megadeth, I think I'd put Megadeth on there, because I have never listened to Megadeth, so... You gave me the task of listening to Peace Cells, well, Who's Buying, which is their second album and kind of the first great Megadeth record that they ever put out. And you know, I like this record. I, I did. And what I find 
appealing about Megadeth is that for a band like them that did have do have a big following, they're still kind of a cult band. They're not played on the radio because uh, mostly because of their like lyrical content, but also like they don't take themselves too too seriously. I mean, in some songs they do, but for a non-metal aficionado, Megadeth's <laughs> P-Cells is kind of a great jumping-on point to uh, a band that kind of got the aesthetic, got the aesthetic, and like tried to make you see what what exactly metal was all about without really pounding you over the head with it. What you get here is the solid musicianship because this is a solidly put together band. And in nineteen eighty six when this album came out, it's kinda of like the, the, the trio, the trifecta of albums that came out that uh are still like revered today. So you know, you have Master of Puppets by Metallica, you you have Rain of Blood by Slayer and and you have Peace Cells. And probably Peace Cells is the one album people talk the least about. And again, I think that also comes from that kind of cult following. And, and had I discovered Megadeth when I was in my youth, I probably would have related to lyrics like, what do you mean, I hurt your feelings? I didn't know you had any feelings. Like, that's, <laughs> that's some great shit. That is some absolutely... What like, do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And, like, you can tell in the voices, he's definitely not taking himself too, too seriously. But, like, this album is kind of the perfect soundtrack for a group of people with latent paranoia. <laughs> um, so uh, that is a great description of Dave Mustaine in general. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, I really liked how you described the album. And to me, the two strongest tracks on here are the first one, which is wake up dead with that bass intro, as well as the title track. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever shared this story with you, but I had a friend who actually <laughs> tour managed them for a while. Really? And uh, let's just say that your description of uh, uh, paranoia uh, was alive and well uh, within Dave Mustaine for the like uh, like f- ten to fifteen years ago. It doesn't surprise me because you definitely get the latent paranoia. It's it's all over this thing. You've got references to you know uh, black magic, summoning the devil, uh, which you know he he does claim that he was into back at during the time when he wrote this record don't know if he really is now don't really care he's not he's a reformed christian everyone even though he uh is probably not let's be honest yeah exactly and i mean the first song is literally about a dude who's like silently in his in his head threatening his significant other to kill her and if she if he if she finds out about the other chick that he's banging which is like it's very weird it's very um despite the the fucking banger melody which it it does have like great melody the, the it sounds great it's just it's such a weird lyrical choice like yeah especially as an opener yeah like fuck <laughs> and 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 that also bleeds into the kind of the gatekeepy kind of shit that was in the metal community because like not to say that there wasn't there wasn't a, a place for women to enjoy that kind of music, but it just seemed like there's there's decent amount of violence towards women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, misogyny is definitely like a, a mainstay of earlier metal releases, right? So it's it's very unfortunate um, that they're on wax. Yeah, a- absolutely. And like the way that uh, Chuck Klosterman tried to 
Um, oh, do you really have to do this? Yeah, like the way he tried to defend it in Fargo Rock City was really the reason that I threw that book in the trash and later peed on it. Because, like, no, you can't just fucking make a generalized statement that, like, yeah, there was. It, it was just, a, the, the, like, the times. Like, no, no, we don't, we don't need to, you don't need to default to that bullshit excuse. Because Rob, it's men a, are men, though. Let's be honest here. They have they have bigger urges. You know, you can write whatever they want here. Yeah, yeah. What I is know this? They red can. China with your censorship? Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Patriot Hour. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but I think like the uh, my favorite uh, on this is definitely peace cells, just because it's like it's a stab at all the people making you know in their stereotypes of metal music and metal musicians and shit like that so i could appreciate that um all in all this is like a pretty fucking solid record i'll give it that uh it's definitely one that i will return to every now and then dust it off because like the music fucking bangs so uh you know i am definitely more receptive to this than you are to anything i gave you to listen to (laughs) Uh, I'm glad to hear that you liked it. Yeah, um, Dave Mustaine is a person, uh, not a great human being, but Dave Mustaine, the musician, great. I mean, um, there have been a couple of clunkers um, in their discography, but by and large, a lot of their output's not that bad. That includes Peace Cells, which I think is really interesting because the title song to me, lyrically, reminds me more of um, the kind of stuff that uh, punk and hardcore bands would do in the 80s versus a traditional metal band, and that is sort of like looking at uh war profiteers and who is making money off of what in terms of like the military industrial complex and i thought that was really interesting in terms of of what to write about uh lyrically which you don't really see a lot of from that era no you definitely don't uh and it definitely bleeds into that level of paranoia that that he does have because there isn't a lot of that in uh a lot of 80s metal music it's just not really there but you know cold war era politics will affect people in different ways and it affected dave in a very uh a a very paranoid way so you end up with with this record and uh you know it's a fucking solid classic so I, I, I just typed it. in uh, Dave Mustaine cocaine peace cells into uh, uh, Google to see if he was on coke. Because I know for the later albums, they all had problems with cocaine, which obviously makes you paranoid. Yes. Doesn't look like there's any hits for that one, unfortunately, necessarily. So maybe the paranoia was pre-cocaine, which makes things uh, even worse. Yeah, it makes things very problematic. Uh, also, I just want to point out that you could listen to this album because the album is like 35 or 36 minutes. You could listen to this three times versus one All Things Must Pass. So it just as uh, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, this one out. Uh, it depends on how you want to return on your investment. If you want uh, to, you know, spend more time with that investment, that's perfectly fine. Totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do uh, number two on my list, and do this it. is the album I didn't hate as much, mostly due to the time factor thing. But uh, one of the albums that I felt like I should listen to, given how much I enjoyed this genre of music was Armed Forces by Elvis Costello and the Attraction. So it came out in early 1979. Uh, I sat down. And so when we had planned this out, I had originally listened to it and made notes. And then um, uh, life got in the way. We decided to do other episodes and then return to this, like, what, like, God, like four months later, I think? Yeah, if, something or like that. Or like five. Actually, no, we're the 10th month. So like five months later. God damn it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so almost a, f- a full half year between listens. So I listened to uh, Armed Forces again um, in the last couple of days, gearing up for for this episode, knowing that this really felt like homework this time around, Rob, just as an FYI. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I really like the song Senior Service. I, I think it's the true standout on the album. And I'm sorry if that makes anyone mad. If what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding is your jam. That's fine. Cool. Like, I love a good Springsteen kind of like pastiche. But to me, Senior Service is where it's at when it comes to early uh, New Wave, which I thought was really interesting because when you think New Wave, you you essentially think th- the early to mid 80s. But this coming out in 79 is kind of like a, a forebearer or like a forefather of a lot of the music that was to come uh, sometime later. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, is there any whip it without Armed Forces? I don't think so. Just given that kind of post-punk era that Elvis Costello was recording in, I I definitely think it was a big influence on that genre. Uh, And and I mean, like, Devo's, I think, kind of a strange and interesting choice just because, like, uh, they're they're an outlier. Even in their own genre, they're an outlier, so... Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, like, uh, uh, what's that Devo song, Mongoloid? Like, that, for example, yeah. is a little out there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, like, the um, Devo also had the, the song Jocko Hope. Let's not even get into Devo right now. I think that's another episode we should do. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, um, j- just so everybody knows, Devo's fucking amazing. So Yes, you know. absolutely. Like, I'm not, I, I love them with all of my uh, heart and spirit. And the thing is, like, once again, it, they weren't just um, a band. They were sort of like a band with an artistic vision that yes. bled into um, uh, visual representations and, and videos and, you know, a live show that's super interesting, too. So, to me, yeah, there is definitely, like, a lot more there to explore than just the music uh that being said uh i feel like elvis costello is kind of like the antithesis of this because it's like it's a very bare image with a lot of music i mm-hmm. thought there was a great use of keyboard all over the album which kind of helped define the sound that elvis costello was going for um the song sunny's best is it's an interesting like waltz isk like time signature really makes the song work um uh, of course the big point of contention with everyone is oliver's army which uses a time and region yeah. specific racial slur yes um it caught me by surprise he also i double checked still uses it live which is kind of sus to me that i mean like it's you, you can you can there are other words you can use there august costello instead of calling yourself the white n-word uh, yeah yeah absolutely uh, and there are definitely some artists that are still performing their fucking songs w- with those words still i mean I mean, like, for example, like, the Dead Kennedys, Holiday in Cambodia has the N-word in it, too, right? Yeah. So just, yeah, you know, that's another um, one that I'm not, I, like, I love the Dead Kennedys, but that is, is unforgivable to me. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, like, uh, Roger Waters, for instance, uh, on, um, what the hell? Well, I mean, there was a, uh, um, Wish You Were Here, right? I, no, I'm not gonna do this joke. Because I think I mentioned in our prior episode, I thought instead of saying a lead role in a cage, he said a Negro in a cage. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I so do I remember. figured you were trying to, to dig at me with that one. No, 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 no. There's, um, uh, let me, let me find it because it, it's been so long. Are since you just going to type in racial slurs? No, 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 no. I no. hope so. I'm just trying to remember what the fucking name of the song was. Um, oh yeah. The, uh, the second, uh, iteration of In the Flesh on, um, uh, The Wall uh, he does refer to uh, a black man using a racial slur. It's not the right. word, that but is it's very a, true. And he and like if you go listen to In the Flesh live, he does say it. So yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the Dead Kennedys, the idea is that the song is written from a racist point of view, which is, I mean, right. is the same kind of defense that uh, Axl Rose tried to use with One in a Million. So, I right. don't know. Like, it's kind of a flimsy argument to make. Like, if you have to defend your use of racism in your lyrics as a point of view choice, then, like, maybe rethink your point of view, even if you do want to make that song count in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't make you look all that great. Ugh. I can I so coming back to the record, I can see how a lot of bands would cite this as like a, a, as an influence. It's a perfect new wave record to base yourself off of. Like the songs are super well crafted, and the album I think um, the best part about that is like it is super super well produced. Yeah, no, it is uh, phenomenally produced, one hundred percent. It's pro. I think it's the only Elvis Costello album I actually own on vinyl. And I, I could I could definitely see why you're super into this and why it's it's just not for me, right? So the mm-hmm. entire time I was listening to this, I just wanted to put on the Clash's Train in Vain instead. Right. If I had to pick like another like new wavy uh, early song, right? Because London Calling had a huge amount of like different kinds of genres, uh, you know, in every song. Like Guns of Brixton was like a reggae song, and you know, Train in Vain to me is like the, the epitome of like an early new wave hit. So I kind of fell down a rabbit hole, and it turns out that Annie Lennox and uh, Dwight Yoakam do very different covers of Train Humane that are both equally worth listening to. Yeah, absolutely. Both are fucking amazing, and I, I do enjoy them. Absolutely. So, yeah, I just I would pick that over over listening to Elvis Costello. Um, and uh, once again, Brian Hasty on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I think there are eras of, of Elvis Costello that are fascinating. I think that uh, probably my favorite project that he's ever done is the the king of america just because it's his take on kind of a americana singer songwriter style songs and they're actually pretty good and uh it's an enjoyable record from the 80s so uh it, it's it's one that doesn't get cited enough for being as good as it is are you a big fan of the costello like pantheon are you like a man who will go through the eras the early eras, yes. The later eras, not as much. The later eras, you can just kind of pick and choose. Like, uh, When I Was Cruel is, is a great album. Um, the Delivery Man has choice cuts on it that are pretty good. Uh, the last few albums that he put out are actually pretty decent. But, uh, yeah, I definitely pick and choose when it comes to my latter half of Elvis Costello's discography. Okay, so uh, given that, here's a question for you. Is there an artist that you can think of whose later work eclipses their earlier work? Because I feel like, once again, like we talked about um, George Harrison, we talked about um, Megadeth, we talked about, you know, like even Elvis Costello, like their earlier stuff probably was better than a lot of the later stuff. So Mm. I'm just trying to think of a band where like the later, more current stuff in a discography is like the better like go-to for me. Uh, the only one that comes to mind, and we've already mentioned him, is Johnny Cash, and that's only because uh, it felt like there was kind of a um, a finality to mm. his his recordings, the American recordings. It felt like uh, it it almost they were recorded to preserve posterity in 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 a way, and most of those songs are. The, the, and, and you know, this may be a controversial statement or whatever like that. Most of those songs don't matter. They're they're great recordings. They're mostly covers. The, a lot of them are great covers, but without them, um, they, they with the exception of Hurt, uh, all of them stand on their own two feet. And, like, 
I always like the people that say that uh, Nine Inch Nails version of Hurt is better. And like, <laughs> you mean the cover version? <laughs> yeah, right. There's like a whole no. There's like a whole bunch of people who like you. You can like uh, search us on Twitter and like they don't realize that Johnny Cash is the cover version. Right. Yeah. It's it's absolutely fucking hilarious. But uh, I think that's the only artist that I can think of off the top of my head. Just... I can think of one. And uh, it's weird because, like, let's say there's three eras. So the early era doesn't matter to me. 2008 to 2011 matters to me. But that, that and then 2011 onwards doesn't. And that's Lil Wayne. Uh, that's fair. Uh, like, Carter 3 and right before, like, mixtape Lil Wayne. And then, like, up until, like, when he starts playing guitar on Rebirth, like, two or three years later. Like, that's kind of it for me. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, that's when they're in a particular place in their songwriting and, and stuff like that, just in, ter- in general terms of uh, where people are as a songwriter and the consistency of the material that they put out. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a, that's like a small example, but yeah, I can, I can see that for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's the only one off the top of my head. Cause I just thought of this question as we were talking, like I hadn't prepared this ahead of time or else I would have had a better answer than Lil Wayne. But, uh, it's just like, it's super interesting to me that like, uh, you know, we, we kind of always defer to the earlier output as the better output. The, the problem is, is that I think you have to pick and choose. Uh, I think it, when it comes down to it, it's generally someone with the longevity of their career and you can kind of pick and choose most of the time. Like, uh, there are there are some great uh, later Neil Young releases that, uh, but like oh, by boy. and large, I, by <laughs> and large his like discography is kind of just like a pile of junk. Past let's nineteen ninety six or so, yeah, yeah. Like Harvest Moon was ninety two, and after that, like that, I, I mm, there's a lot I'd like to say, but once again, like yeah, trying to go through that, like Psychedelic Pill was a great record with uh, th- that was like one of their. Crazy Horse Records and the Daniel Lewan assisted like Lenoise was good too in 2010, but like mm-hmm. there's so much hit and miss. I think Neil Young is like the quintessential like pick and choose. Yeah, exactly. Because like Neil Young is like Bob Dylan. He does what he wants when he wants. He has you know complete control over what he wants to record and what he uh, wants to put out. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a pick or choose kind of thing and. Especially with Bob Dylan now, whose voice is mostly junk. It's like, <laughs> why why are we still doing this? Like, if, if you enjoy putting out shit and stuff, fine. But people, please stop assuming that it's good. Because it's not. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to be proven wrong, not proven right in these situations. Yeah, exactly. We don't need some fucking 12-minute long song about But JFK, JFK. Rob. No. No, Brian. <laughs> no. Uh, all right, let's do your second pick. As the resident sad boy of this fucking podcast, I put off this album as long as I fucking could because uh, I feel like this is the album that kind of commercializes sadness in a way that it's not necessarily universal, but it's just hit the feel at the fucking time. And uh, uh, I'm talking about Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. And... I I know that I unjustly and harshly put this album off just because when it comes to new things, if I can avoid the fandom of something, I will at all costs in order to enjoy it because I tend to feel like 
when shit gets overhyped, it automatically screams bad in my fucking head. Mm. So, I once uh, I once witnessed a like forty page thread on a message board in two thousand five about whether or not Pink Floyd's uh, you know Dark Side of the Moon was the best album ever because of its sales record, which is a completely stupid fucking argument. Because Correct. Uh, popularity does not automatically equal good. No, um, exactly. Uh, and I'm glad we're on the right side of history with that. I mean, Jesus Christ, how many fucking uh, album of the year Grammys go to albums that are not deserving? So fucking many. So the only uh, sort of asterisk to that is uh, this is very recent news in the land of Canada, but we have something called the Polaris Prize, which is a um, uh, an award given to a deserving musician. So this year it was won by uh, Montreal rapper Backwash for uh, an album she put out that's actually samples um, like uh, Sabbath and Zeppelin. And it's kind of amazing that it actually made it here. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, if you want to check that out, it is a God has nothing to do with this. Leave uh, him out of it um which is not available on spotify so if you want to go ahead and uh, buy it on Bandcamp, by it means go ahead yeah go go ahead go go support an artist um and i think like with unknown pleasures it's the um the t-shirt generation the mm. the ones that wear this fucking album cover as a t-shirt and it's just dawning your sadness in a way but like dawning not the sadness but like the presumption of what the sadness is or like the hipsterish way that the sadness can be represented. And that's just, is one of the most insufferable things that I can honestly see. And like, I own fucking band shirts, but like with the number of people that wear unknown pleasure fucking shirts, it just like makes my blood kind of boil. So, so I feel targeted right now. Mm, you own one, don't you? I own I own a mashup of one, which is the Unknown Pleasures cover with uh, the Fraser skyline and just says Fraser on it. So I feel like that is a pass because I uh, I laughed so hard when I saw the shirt and I had to buy it. No, I mean that's that's fair. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like hold your balls to the grindstone or anything for that because <laughs> I mean like it's funny. I would laugh at that. too. You would have to cross a border to do that, by the way. Just as an FYI, like once again, like this would be a very determined. It's, okay, it's easier to get across your border than it is like. I, I think I could do it. I think. Would I you take a plane it. to come harass me? Uh, you never know. No, actually, I can't <laughs> right now because I can't get into the DMV because the only way that you can actually book a plane ticket now is if you have an enhanced ID. So I got to go oh, get really? an enhanced ID. Yeah. Oh, that's a weird one. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, like, good news for the chuds out there. Bad news for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh... So, but no, I I 100% agree with you about about band shirts because they used to be markers of what you're into and that's how you sort of met people, right? But with the internet that's kind of disappeared now it's just sh- it it's showing off. Yeah, exactly. Um so it, I, I there was a lot of hesitation when I pressed play. When I when I f- first pressed play on Disorder, it was like I didn't expect to get what I was getting and uh, what I got was this dancey fucking beat to begin with, which was very interesting there's like uh, weird sonic whooshing sounds and there's like reverb but the reverb actually complements the fucking music that's being played and then it, it really enhances the experience that you're having while you're listening to this but like i think what's great about this is like uh from the start disorder has this narrator essentially who's kind of like guiding you through an experience that is just overwhelming it's like uh uh, to the point where it's like uh, someone who experiences like uh, seizures and stuff like that to just like trying to guide you kind of through this 
the chaos and shit. They're not necessarily there to help you. They're just, like, guiding you along the way. They're not going to shield you from anything that's bad. It's kind of like Enoch being guided by Uriel into, like, the fucking shit. <laughs> he's, he's not really there to protect him. That he's just so highly specific. I know. I, it was it was like a weird. I was trying oh, to think so of an good. analogy. Like so was, good. I was trying to think of an analogy, but he's like he's not really trying to protect him. He's trying to expose him to all of this insane shit, and that's what you get on Unknown Pleasures. You get like the war side of it. You get like all of these different types of sadness. But like, what makes this album compelling is it's all subtle. It's all. Um, it doesn't immediately destroy you until you get to like the last track, which is just like depression dialed up to 10, but like it unnerves you the more that you think about it, not the more that you listen to it, the more that you think about it when you stop listening to it and you think about all those lyrics and you think about all of these situations in which people find themselves in and, and relating to this. And it's like sadness on a deep level. Whereas like, the sadness that's portrayed in like emo is very surface level in in many cases i think and like a lot of it has to do with like uh really shallow breakups and 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 shit like that whereas the sadness here is like deeply psychological there's no way that nobody who listens to this isn't affected by it in some fucking way. It, it literally feels like he touches on every type of fucked upness that anybody can kind of experience. So I think with that, given the production style of this album, it's so fucking good. It's, it's, it's just really fucking good. I will never listen to this album again, ever. <laughs> I will never I will never listen to this fucking album again and it's just I don't want to think about this level of sadness like I think a lot of music can uh, you know pull you out of your fucking sadness I think this literal album is sadness and in the way that we all think of sadness in the end as like something that continuously rolls around in your head like something that's like uh, uh, caught up in a wave or something like that. Like, that's what this album is. It's not surface level. It's very deep. It's very affecting. And I'll just never listen to it again, ever. Fucking I ever. find that such an interesting description of the album, given the context of everything that, you know, Joy Division and the New Order went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, to your point, I feel like the minimal style in which this album is recorded actually makes it menacing. It does. It, it it does. Like, I don't want to analogize it this way, but it's the best example that I can come up with. It's like a realer version of the Black Parade, in a way. Ooh. It, 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 it has this, like, it sounds like a band that's, like, narrating the end of the world, almost. Or, or the end of one person's world. Yeah. It is such a good way of describing that. Also, like, just the way that Ian Curtis sings, and by sings, I mean, like, very minimally shouts, almost. Like, for example, like, the yeah. chorus of, She lost control! Like, you know, there's... While there is some melody there, it's it feels like it's almost barking. Like, this man's pleading for someone to listen to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what this album is. It's... It's a cry for someone to listen to you. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just given Ian Curtis's downfall, it's just... 
I think if it, he had lived on and he and he hadn't killed himself, then I think this album would hit differently. But I think with that, also given the fact that they were really starting to gain traction, they were about to go out on a tour when he committed suicide, and like this isn't some cult fucking thing that you discovered later. It was kind of always wasn't huge but it was well known at the time so i i think given under different circumstances this album wouldn't hit as hard as it does but given those circumstances it is devastating like just utterly fucking devastating absolutely absolutely and it's it's like one of those things right and i hate i've seen these pieces online they piss me off it's like what if ian curtis had lived what would his music sound like what if uh kurt cobain had lived what would his music sound like and i just I feel like it's such a weird strain of journalism because I've seen these articles pop up throughout the years that I just, there's no merit to it other than like it's clickbaitiness. Assuming that you understand the artist behind the songs and you don't always like the artists will tell you uh, more often than not what a song is about unless they want to be really cryptic and they say, well, it's about what you think it's about. Like, yeah, the I don't, postmodern I don't, approach. Yeah, I don't think Dave Matthews has ever been given a fucking like straight answer as to what a song is about. Like, yeah, like I want to know what Don't Drink the Water is about. I- exactly. I mean, you could kind of, I like, I intuit from the music video that, like, uh, I think it holds a lot of, like, what that song is about in, in many ways you can find in the music video, but like it's all fucking cryptic. Uh, and yeah, like, like the, the most cryptic song that that band has ever put out is a song called number 41. And nobody really <laughs> knows what it's about. They think it's about their, their relationship with their manager at the time, because they like kind of like uh, fired their manager around this time. And like, it's so, it's so fucking weird because his lyrics don't fucking make any sense. But like, this album is is a cry for help, and it's a clear cry for help. And when you think about it, a song like "Day of the Lords" predates like uh, post traumatic uh, stress disorder by like a few years. <laughs> mm, yeah, for sure. Also, just you know, um, Interzone too, right? Like, there's like yeah, there's so much here. Insight, for example, like we're sitting down reading those lyrics is just you know, it feels like a, a the worst nursery rhyme you could ever want to subject yourself to. Yeah. Also, just before I forget, coming back to the Dave Matthews thing, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Matthews, are they the source of all these QAnon drops? Oh, Jesus Christ. Are we getting... Like, listen, <laughs> listen, just think about it, Rob. You're saying they're cryptic, they're weird, there's no answers, you know, where are you going? The answer is to the grocery store. Uh, like, I want you to think about this for a sec. Could we perhaps fashion a conspiracy theory that uh, QAnon's basically getting all of their information from <laughs> Dave Matthews' band lyrics? I mean, it's definitely the medium, uh, the specific conspiracy theory that could entertain something like this. So yeah, man, uh, it's all Dave Matthews. <laughs> you heard it here first. You don't yeah. need a you don't need a fucking Q drop. It's a coda drop. It's fucking Dave Hell Matthews. Yeah, the coda drop. There we go. We just got the name of the episode yeah. right up front. Yeah, one hundred percent. The coda. So drop. I I do like that your conclusion though is that you'll never listen to this again because I do feel similarly about a lot of the Joy Division that I I will. Listen to is it, it, I I will do it, but then I won't subject myself to more because I know how it makes me feel. Yeah, no, and I don't want to feel like fucking shit. Like, it's funny because I feel like this album is like the this the sadness and suffering of a man versus a lot of like the early two thousands email, which was the sufferings of a boy. Like, compare this to Dashboard Confessionals. Like, this is stark, dirty, depressing. 
she won't call me back. I'm sad is okay. It's the base level emotion every fucking kid feels when he's going through a breakup when he's like in his teens or early 20s. This is I also realize I'm sad shaming. So, I'm uh sorry. I, you know that that'll happen, but I mean like it's a dashboard <laughs> confessional and honestly fuck dashboard confessional at this point. I don't point. really Whenever you think of dashboard confessional, just think of the word no and and uh go for something else. Just anything fucking else at this point. <laughs> Rights of Spring. Go to Rights of Spring for fuck's yes. sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't listened to enough Rights of Spring in your no life. No one has. Fucking... Go listen to Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, um, Sunny Day Real Estate. Do you have a favorite album? It's a tough choice, man. It's a tough choice because how do you pick? They're all fucking good. They're all fucking good. Um, I, mm, yeah. I don't, man, I tried. I've tried, and I've f- fucking failed every single time. I, I do think... Okay, all right. I'm going to throw myself out there. Like, Diary, great song, uh, great album. But I for me, it, it's how it feels uh, to be something on. You know, that's... Go, uh, go listen to Pillars, man. That's all you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Fucking A. Fucking A. Um, Once again, the sadness of a man versus the sadness of a boy. Right. And I mean, like, fuck, man. LP2... Also, oh, uh, I need to sit down with that. I haven't listened to it nearly enough, so I'm scared that it'll just be like a three-way tie to me. Yeah, no, it's definitely... I think how it feels to be something on is kind of the pinnacle. That's the tops, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Diary is... Man, that cover art is so fucking great, too. <laughs> I mean, it's so iconic, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely fucking iconic. It's. I it's... actually think I own that on vinyl, but the thing is, all my vinyl's been locked away for the last, like, 40 years, so I can't even remember what I own anymore. Right? Like, I hate I hate when that happens, man. I hate when that happens, but if you don't own it on vinyl, folks, go fucking get it on fucking vinyl. So, um, and and speaking of where you can get things, Brian, where, where can people find us on the internet? People can go ahead. And tweet at us on Twitter at uh, the Coda Podcast, all one word. If you want to go ahead and send us an email, it's the Codacast at gmail.com, and we read every single email out there. Also, you can also find uh, a more visual representation of this podcast over on Coda Podcast, Coda underscore podcast on Instagram. Yes, and I definitely throw up some of the best visuals that you could ever ask for. I was about to lead into that, yeah. Yeah. Rob's been doing a stellar job of like throwing up really great TikToks and other videos that uh, are uh, very on brand for us. Oh yeah, the the one today uh, about uh, how certain celebrities would react to stubbing their toe or running into a door is just absolutely phenomenal. Go check that out. The first time I watched it, it was without sound, and I I imagined what each singer sounded like, and then I heard the sound on it, and I I felt so like gratified that I was right about how it was going to sound. <laughs> That is the new Coda Challenge. Uh, Brian, speaking of the Coda Challenge, have (laughs) have you been blocked by the trapped official account? No, and I've been working on it, and he's replied a couple of times, but Chris Taylor Brown refuses to block me, even though I send him nonsensical things and then demean his, like, presence and then prove his tweets wrong with facts. Um, uh, Still not blocked, but I'm I'm working on it, Rob. All right. I I believe that we can get Brian Hasty blocked. It may not happen in 2020, but it'll it'll damn sure happen in. 2020. Blocked by Halloween, or I quit the podcast. Uh, yeah, and then I'm I mean, and to... 
once again, this is like one of those like like WWE style like ultimatums that clearly okay. won't happen. So yeah, and then uh, I'm gonna have a new co-host for like uh, like three months, and then you're gonna come back, and you two are gonna have the match of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Cue up the, like the chair like the chair hit like sound effects libraries. Yeah. Oh, fucking a. They're gonna be chair hits all over this fucking <laughs> podcast. But until then, folks, don't forget to keep the cans on.